Hi folks and welcome to another episode of the Racket Athlete Podcast. Today we have on Dr. Gary Mendoza. Gary's background is in personal training. Gary holds both British and American qualifications in personal training and has been a PT for 25 years. He represented GB at the first ever IDEA Personal Trainers Convention in Washington, USA. While working as a personal trainer, he studied nutrition, graduating with a first in applied human nutrition from the University of Wales. He moved into training trainers and developed a successful nutrition and weight management course, teaching PTs the skills required to deliver a successful weight management program. These skills include nutrition, activity and behavior change. This course formed the basis of his doctoral research. In 2006, he was awarded with his PhD in nutrition specializing in multidimensional treatment for overweight and obese males. A big part of this research looked at the psychology of change. Gary has since undertaken further training in motivational interviewing and was fortunate to be trained by Professors Stephen Rolnick and William Miller, the founders of MI. Gary's other area of expertise is sports nutrition. He was program leader for sports nutrition and advanced sports nutrition at Massey University in New Zealand and trained with sports dietitians Australia. Gary lectures in nutrition for sport and exercise at Bath Spa and Cardiff Metropolitan Universities as an academic association, associate member of the SENR. He, he is also the director of Stages of Change Limited and delivers a behavioral change workshop. Um, and this workshop teaches personal trainers sound behavioral changing principles. Gary is passionate about raising the standard of nutrition, education and behavior change, understanding in the leisure industry. He wants the industry to move to a more evidence-based style of nutrition, behavior, and change education, and wants trainers to be able to deliver effective and safe nutrition and weight loss programs that helps clients make the necessary lifestyle changes required. Welcome to the show, Gary. Cheers, Chris. Thanks for inviting us on. Brilliant. Yeah. So how, how's, how's your day been all right? Yeah, not too bad. Kind of, I'm kind of into a routine now with lockdown, but because I teach online, it, actually haven't been too bad to be honest yeah, been quite steady for you then yeah i'm quite lucky really yeah so we'll just get started then gary really how did how did sports nutrition i talked a little bit about it there in just a small detail but how can you go uh, a bit more in depth about sports nutrition and how that became a passion of yours and how it really made you focus into that area right um I was always interested in nutrition to a degree because obviously being a personal trainer and I played sport at a high level, I played rugby for the air force. So I played sport to a good level, but when I was doing my nutrition degree, um, one of the lads on the course, funnily enough, was doing the security for Cardiff city, literally on the doors as it were. Yeah. And he said they had no, nobody was giving them any nutrition advice. So this is back in 94, something like that. Yeah. So I said, well, I'll be happy to go along. So I did it for free just to get some experience and work with Cardiff City. Yeah. And then the manager at the time moved to West Bromwich Albion and then ultimately to Knott's Forest. And a friend of mine was working with them up there and, and so asked me if I'd be interested in taking on the academy. So I became the full-time sports nutritionist for Knott's Forest Academy. Wow. So working with eight-year-olds right through to 16-year-olds when they would sign kind of professional contracts yeah so i was kind of i was getting quite into it there and i was working with individual athletes i worked with um kate howard who lifted for wales in the in the commonwealth Games. so i was working with her yeah and then when i was 
when I got the job in New Zealand, which was completely sports nutrition, mm -hmm. they wanted me to have the Australian qualification, the diet sports dietitians Australia. Yeah. So I was fortunate enough they paid for me to train with them. And then while I was working as a lecturer there, I was very much my own boss. And so I got to work with a number of their kind of athletes. And one of them, they're an international mountain bikers. I work with Western Netball. And for those of you that don't know, netball in New Zealand's professional sport. And yeah. so some seriously good athletes, even at a young age, some of these yeah. girls are so amazing. Yeah. So I got to work with them and a couple of their international swimmers. And so really, I've just always been interested in doing sports nutrition and I've worked with, and to this day still do. I, when I came back from New Zealand, I was the nutritionist for weightlifting Wales, did that for a year or so. And I've continued to work with different athletes and currently work with an international gymnast. So, yeah, yeah I just find it really fascinating that, you know, people can, when I see the difference in the way people perform once they get their nutrition right, yeah. it's great because they are so used to kind of having little changes through, you yeah. know, through their training and whatever. And it takes a long time to develop different skills. Yeah. But with nutrition, they, they often will see a change quite quickly and they're normally quite, amazed by that yeah so yeah for me it's really rewarding seeing an athlete going on to perform to their best basically yeah and how would you say obviously you, you talked a bit about there just a couple of seconds ago about the small changes in physical aspects take a little bit you know a little bit longer but with the nutrition obviously you're you're, you're talking about it, it happens a little bit quicker mm -hmm. so can you give examples of that yeah, so when I, when I first start work with an athlete, they're normally, especially if they're already kind of on borderline, you know, the elite level, maybe moving into international competition, they come with a perception that they've got their nutrition nailed down and that they're doing everything right. Mm -hmm. And normally the first question they'll ask me is, oh, what supplements should I be on? Yeah. And I normally have to flip that on its head and go, let's look what your diet looks like yeah. first. And I very often find that it depends what the sport is, obviously, because every sport's needs is different. But like, for instance, often I've worked with, I've worked with a British age group triathlete. Mm -hmm. He came to me, similar question, what mm -hmm. supplements, blah, blah. And I, I looked at his diet. He wasn't consuming anywhere near enough carbohydrate to be fueling his muscle glycogen. Yeah. So just getting that side of it sorted out. So my starting point is always get the basic diet right because often that can have quite a profound effect yeah. in itself because I think it's like the general public. Everybody thinks they know what healthy eating is. Yeah. And I think to some degrees, everybody thinks, and certainly athletes, think they understand nutrition. Yeah. And they're normally quite surprised. Not always. Sometimes some of them are very well educated about their nutrition. Yeah. But in most cases, they come to you and – when you tell them about, oh, you need this much carbohydrate or this much protein or fat, whatever it might be, yeah, yeah. they're normally, that can't be right. That's not what I've read. And it's like, and they're getting their information either from other athletes yeah. or from magazines yeah. or you know, like if you've got your kind of your local kind of sports magazine that yeah, covers yeah. that sport, there's normally always a nutrition article in there. Sometimes yeah. they are written by people that are qualified, mm -hmm. but equally you'll get articles in there by people that aren't qualified. And of course, yeah. if you see it in a magazine, you think that's got to be true. Yeah. <laughs> and so they've changed all their diet mm -hmm. because they've read one article. Yeah. 
So, and how can you, you spoke about a triathlete there not getting in enough carbs. How can you relate that sort of nutritional teaching to a racket athlete then, Gary? Okay, well, the first thing to say with a racket athlete is what level are they at? If they're just training, playing, competing once a day, then their overall nutritional needs will be different to somebody who's maybe semi-pro or pro that kind of trains two, three times a day. Yeah. So the first thing to look at is training frequency. Yeah. Because that will dictate their overall nutritional requirements. The other thing that athletes tend to get wrong across all sports is meal timing. Yeah. Now, meal timing is not so critical if you just play or train once a day. Mm-hmm. If you've got 24 hours to recover, providing your diet's pretty much spot on in terms of the correct uh, ratios or grams yep. of the protein, fat, and carbohydrate, mm-hmm. your body will recover and you'll be fine for the next training session. The problem comes when you're going to, even if you're training twice a day. So if you happen to, I don't know, you might go do some endurance work in the morning, running, cycling, whatever you do to build up your endurance. And then you may be going to do some technical work with a coach, you know, so different racket skills and so on yep. in the evening. Yep. That that morning session, it's really important that A, your pre-exercise nutrition is good because you want to have a quality session. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, mm-hmm. your post-exercise nutrition becomes really important because that post-exercise nutrition is effectively going to become your pre-exercise nutrition for the training session in the afternoon. Because you, whilst you've been doing your endurance training, you will have depleted your glycogen stores. So that's yep. the muscle's fuel effectively. Yep. And if you don't replenish that, although you will get through the coaching session, the quality of it won't be as good. Mm-hmm. And, and this is something I, I often have to stress to athletes because they're like, yeah, but I'm able to train twice a day. And I, I say, yeah, you are able to train, but is the quality of that training 100%? Because if each session is 100%, the gains you're going to get from it are going to be far better. Yeah. And so often people will say, and this happens even with the general public, mm-hmm. you can say to them, if you sort your diet out, you'll feel better. And they'll go, oh, but I already feel okay. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's because your version of okay is here. Mm-hmm. And actually, we want to take it to the next level. And you've yeah. never been there. So yeah. you actually don't know what it feels like to be, for want of a better word, really okay. Yeah, yeah. And so this is what you kind of need to get across because when you're trained, there's no point in doing training sessions if they're not good quality yeah. and you're getting the results from the training. The other yeah. thing is, especially that second session, if you are slightly fatigued, in other words, your glycogen isn't fully recovered, you will lose technique so that in itself is a bad thing, especially in a racket sport. Yeah, definitely. But more importantly, your risk of injury becomes higher because mm-hmm. as technique goes, then maybe the way you plant the foot or whatever could be just wrong and that ends up with a sprained ankle or whatever. And then yeah. you're out for kind of three, six weeks. Yeah. So that's a consideration as well. It's like keeping healthy. Yeah, definitely. And obviously you spoke there briefly about pre exercise meals and post-exercise meals uh-huh. for a racket athlete can you give an example of a, a good pre-exercise meal and a good post-exercise meal sure right so for it will depend what time you're going to be training yeah because everybody tolerates food slightly differently 
So, but the, the guidelines are normally you need a meal two to three hours before you're going to train or play or compete, whatever it might be. Yeah. And the general guidelines tend to be, and it would be the same for a racket athlete where maybe a game's going to go on for an hour, hour and a half, whatever. Yeah. Roughly 200 grams of carbohydrate in the meal. So you really want a high carbohydrate meal. Yeah. How you achieve that doesn't really matter too much as long as it is predominantly high carbohydrate. Yeah reason you need that amount of carbohydrate is if you have too small an amount then you are going to be prone to a dip in blood sugar but mm -hmm. by having a larger amount it seems to maintain and you avoid that kind of post meal drop off so yeah. to speak yeah the next thing to consider is how long is it how long am i going to be training or playing if it's up to an hour then you should be looking to hydrate throughout that session and water will do the job Mm -hmm. no problem at all the minute we start going over an hour and moving towards maybe kind of 90 minutes or onwards you should be using sports drinks from the get-go really yeah and the, and the key mistake a lot of people make is they wait until they're thirsty yeah yeah I've heard and that before. at that point you're kind of you're borderline dehydrated already so you really need a kind of a drinking plan so as you consciously a sipping water or sports drink, depending on yeah. what the requirement is. Yeah. Kind of like 15, 20 minutes. And that way you're going to maintain your hydration straight status throughout. Yeah. Post exercise. It really will depend what type of session you've done. If it's been a strength power session, so you're trying to build a bit of strength into your kind of physical being, yeah. then it's going to be really important to get the right combination of protein and carbohydrate. And generally that is a ratio of about two grams of carbs to one gram of protein. Yeah. So I often advise athletes because it's, <laughs> it's simple and easy to just use something like a freeze milkshake. Oh yeah. Or chocolate ones. There's lots of evidence to show that milkshakes are a really good recovery drink. And if you look at the ratio of carbohydrate and protein in a freeze milkshake, it's perfect. And so that's an easy thing to chuck in your bag. Because really, you want to start that recovery meal the minute you finish training or competing. Yeah. Is that recovery pro the earlier you start the recovery process, the better the muscles refuel. Yeah. Ultimately, they will refuel over 24 hours. Mm -hmm. But if we're concerned about, well, I'm going to have to train again this afternoon, yeah. then that's going to be really important that that recovery meal is spot on. So the, the milkshake's a good way to start. And then you're most probably looking at about a gram per kilogram body weight as a kind of recovery meal afterwards, predominantly again, carbohydrate mm -hmm. to make sure muscle glycogen is replete before you start training again. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially there you're looking to get the right amount of carbs and protein on your post exercise meal. Yeah. And then that right amount of carbs in the pre exercise meal. So your, your glycogen stores are ready for whatever's coming to it basically. Yeah. And, <laughs> And it's an interesting one because for some out, so like I've, I've worked, like I say, I worked with a swimmer and they could only get pool time kind of six in the morning to do lengths because yeah, obviously yeah. public pools, they tend yeah, to yeah. open at seven, eight o'clock. Yeah. So he had to get up and have breakfast at kind of half past three and then he'd go back to bed for another hour or so because yeah. he needed to get that pre because he was going to train in the morning really early yeah but then he, he would maybe do strength or whatever during the day and he might even go back to the pool again in the evening mm -hmm. so he couldn't afford to miss that pre-exercise meal yeah and the other thing as i said previously is how how do you tolerate food 
Yeah. Some yeah. people can eat a meal and just go and play and, yeah. and they don't have any effect. Yeah. So if that's you, that's great. That means you can have your pre-exercise meal maybe an hour before you're going to train or whatever. Yeah. But it, it will differ with individuals. Yes, yeah. So you've got the guidelines there, but essentially it's individual as well, isn't it? Oh, every time. I mean, the guidelines are just that. Yeah. I mean, I've had athletes that are competing in the same sport at the same weight, and yet what works for one of them doesn't work doesn't for the other. Well, yeah. so why is that? So really it is a case of it needs to be individually kind of tailored to the athlete. Yeah. So obviously we spoke about some guidelines there, Gary. How do you get your athletes that you work with to buy into the to those guidelines and, and stuff you're educating them with um, in your programs? It's, it's interesting because in elite sport, you don't normally have too much problem. Because yeah. the one th if I was going to compare an elite sports person with somebody that's just trying to break into that, yeah. for me, the difference is purely psychological. Yeah. Physiologically, they're most probably very, very similar. Yeah. But an elite sports person seems to have this real blinkered focus. Yeah. And so generally, I don't have too much problem of getting buy-in because they're kind of game on for anything. If yeah. it's going to, the minute I say to them, this will improve your training, this will take you to this level, this will allow you to recovery, I've got buy-in straight away. Yeah, yeah. But having said that, I use motivational interviewing now simply because I've learned it. And there's a really good book, actually, that if anybody is working, this might be worth. So this book here, Coaching Athletes to Be Their Best. Yeah, yeah. So that's worth purchasing if you're kind of interested in kind of working with athletes from the coaching side of things. It's motivational yeah, yeah. interviewing in sport. Now, that motivational interviewing now is being used a lot in elite sport. So... Yeah. I've seen interviews that Stephen Rolnick's done with the Scottish under-16 rugby coach, right. uh, the English basketball coach, uh, Watford uh, football coach, their academy football coach, yeah. and English cricket's doctor and that. So yeah. motivational interviews becoming very big in, in elite sport. And so I, I make sure I'm kind of what I would call motivational interviewing consistent when I'm talking to people. And yeah. interestingly, I've just been working with a young athlete and everybody had been struggling to get across to this athlete about they thought they might be kind of borderline having an eating disorder. Okay. I spoke to them and I just used motivational interviewing. I was consistent. I kind of respected their autonomy and everything. Yeah. And now this athlete has made changes. So I think it's very much about how you as the coach approach the athlete. Yeah, I find this a lot with personal trainers when they've completed the motivational interviewing course. Yeah, I've had feedback. Oh well, this this client I was working with was really awkward. Didn't get the results I was expecting to. Blah blah mm. blah. Yeah, I finished the MI course and they've gone. This client's now getting all their results. They're getting there what want to be. And I said they were never an awkward client. The problem was you, and now <laughs> you've changed. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's kind of a revelation because people never think, am I the problem, not yeah, the kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. And it's Definitely. similar with athletes. Yeah. You've got to respect, you know, what, what their goals and values are. Yeah. And, and I think just giving that respect, you'll get buy-in because you get kind of good rapport then. Yeah, you definitely. Kind of feel, you know, I, I always talk about it. Well, I'm on your team. I want yeah. you to get the best you can get, be mm -hmm. the best you can be. Yeah. So that's definitely... Um, good information there, Gary. 
Um, so moving on then, what is your opinion on using supplements such as you know proteins, creatine, and vitamins and minerals? And why would you say they're good or why they might not be so useful in some ways? Again, my answer to this is always going to be the same. Everybody's different. The key thing to remember is that they're supplements. Yeah. And that's what it seems to people overlook. Yeah. Basically, they are supplementary to your diet. So the first thing you must always get right is your diet, your basic underlying diet. For most athletes, they won't need protein shakes or whatever. Yeah. Because it's quite easy. If you want me... Th- so for, especially in elite sport where they might have a high calorific need, you know, you know yeah. some athletes might be three, three and a half, 4,000 calories a day, depending yeah. on what the sport is and what the training is. Yeah. If you're consuming that many calories mm-hmm. with a balanced diet. So mm-hmm. plenty of fruit, veg and everything else, mm-hmm. you will be meeting your protein needs. No danger. Yeah. So it's quite unusual to be re- requiring protein shakes. Yeah. Yeah. Similar with vitamins and minerals. Again, quite unusual. The one proviso I would say where we are seeing more and more is vitamin D. And racket sports athletes would fall into this because mm-hmm. they do a lot of their training indoors. Yeah. They're either on court, in a gym or whatever. And so they're not getting exposure to daylight. And so I would, I think for racket sport, they really should look at supplementing with vitamin D because we are starting to understand more and more that it's involved not only in bone health and everything else, but also it might be really important for the immune system recovery and so on. Yeah. So that's definitely one. And even the government guidelines now are that people should supplement over the winter months. Yeah. You guys up in Scotland, (laughs) where you get less sun. Yeah, then definitely. Yeah, <laughs> so, I know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely one <laughs> yeah, of them that, that takes the vitamin D anyway. So yeah. <laughs> um, now the rest, they it, it is a case of looking. Now the best place for anybody to go to kind of suss out what kind of the evidence is around supplements, Australian Institute for Sports website. Yeah. If you go there, the AIS has supplement categories, and so you've got category A. These are supplements that work, are as safe, and there's lots of scientific evidence to support them. Yeah. Category B supplements are the ones that are a bit on the fence, we're not sure. Mm-hmm. And then category C, which is the biggest category, are the supplements that absolutely do not work. There's no scientific evidence. Yeah. So there's sci- there's there's some surprising ones in there. So ginseng's in there. Yeah. People are going to be right, but no, there's no good evidence to show that that's effective yeah the ones that you've briefly mentioned and for racket sports athletes i would say are going to be creatine yeah that's because racket sport is explosive so creatine is going to be quite important Mm -hmm. you've got to be careful with creatine because it will increase your weight yeah so if you if you've creatine loaded you're most probably going to be a kilogram to a kilogram half heavier so you have to weigh up that against does that affect my speed, my reaction and everything else. Mm-hmm. In most cases, it's not going to. You're going to get more benefit than the one kilogram weight gain's ever going to kind yeah, of yeah. slow you down. So creatine, I would definitely look at. Yep. <coughs> caffeine's a really good one. Now, the evidence is really strange with caffeine. Some people say you need to be what we would call caffeine naive, okay. which means... You've washed all caffeine out of your system. 
mm-hmm. and you pretty much only use it when you compete or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the theory behind that is you're going to, because it's a stimulant. Yeah. If you're not having it regularly, when you do have it, you get a real, you know, a real hit. Yeah. Some people don't need to be caffeine naive. My personal preference is when I work with athletes that they are, because yeah. in my experience, I've seen they seem to get better results. Yeah. yeah. But caffeine's really good for two reasons. A, it's a stimulant, so it's going to improve reaction time. <laughs> you're going to be more alert. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is it kind of increases your pain threshold. So you can train harder for longer. Yeah. So caffeine's definitely a good one. And there's, and the only proviso with that would be if you had high blood pressure or heart problems, then you would stay away from it because yeah. one of the things caffeine will do is increase blood pressure yeah. and stimulate, stimulate cardiac muscle. Yeah. yeah. But other than that, it providing you're healthy then that's fine. And I should add with creatine is a similar proviso. If you've had any type of renal problem, kidney problem, yeah. then you should really steer clear of creatine. Yeah. But other than that, there is no kind of long-term health issues as far as we're, we've got some really long-term studies with creatine, for instance, kind of 25 yeah. years yeah. and people are fine on it. So there's no yeah. issue. The one thing I would say is if you're looking at creatine, a get advice from a sports nutritionist. Don't yeah. just, read it off the tin because yeah, yeah, yeah. nine times out of 10, what the tins will record or the packet or wherever you get it, they will recommend a loading dose of 20 grams a day over five days. Mm-hmm. That's an expensive way to load creatine. You will pee out most of that. Yeah. It is just as effective to load with two to three grams a day over 30 days. Yeah. You get similar type of results. Yeah. So, and the other thing is creatine monohydrate. You do not need all these other fancy types. All the research that's been done, mm-hmm. that's shown it's effective, is done with creatine monohydrate. So all these micronized and liquid and yeah, yeah. anything else that are making claims about better absorbed and what have you, it's BS. There's no, there's no, <laughs> there's really no strong evidence to support that. The cheapest form yeah. is creatine monohydrate, and actually, it's the most effective. Yeah. So yeah. creatine caffeine. Yep. One that's you kind of have to be careful with, but it does work if, if you can tolerate it, is sodium bicarbonate. All right, yeah, okay. Now sodium bicarbonate works basically baking powder. Mm-hmm. It will work as a buffer and so it reduces or slows the accumulation of lactic acid in the muscle. Okay. And so you, you can keep so again that's very relevant in racket sport. Definitely because yeah. of the power. Yeah. But the downside is about fifty percent of people do not tolerate sodium bicarbonate very well. Yeah. In terms yeah. of basically it just goes straight through you. Yeah, yeah. So that's one that you can try. And I always say to people, we'll try it in training. Mm-hmm see what effect it has yeah and if you're comfortable with it then fine yeah but if not steer clear yeah. it's, it's not got negative health effects other than it's going to give you the squits basically the <laughs> yeah. Word. yeah basically it's called the technical term for it is intestinal hurry but yeah yeah so going back to the calories you spoke about gary um, and uh-huh. obviously about uh certain sports being three, say 3,000 to 4,000 calories. If you're working with a racket athlete, what recommendations on calories per day would you be giving them? 
I'd, I'd work it on the individual. Yeah. I, I could give you a ballpark figure. Give me an example. Yeah, okay. So if you've got I don't know, a semi-pro racket athlete who's going to train in the morning, maybe do their endurance session or strength or whatever, but one training session in the morning and then they do their coaching and um, competition in the evening, afternoon, evening, that morning session is most probably going to be around four, five, six hundred calories. The afternoon, the competition, it would depend how long they're kind of competing, obviously, or how long they're kind of in coaching. But you most probably, again, ballpark figure, it's very hard to kind of give general. Yeah. Might be around five, six hundred. So you've already got a thousand calories there just yeah. from training. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is, people often think that professional sports people have massively higher calorie needs than say you or I. Yeah. And that's not always true because quite often they will be doing that training, but in between they do nothing. Yeah. So I worked um, with the Welsh international side for a while when Mark Hughes was the manager. Yeah. They would train in the morning, but then they'd sit around most of the day drinking coffee or maybe playing pool or on uh, computer games or whatever. Yeah train again in the afternoon but just technical stuff so like free kicks and tactical stuff that yeah, type. yeah and when you worked out their calorie needs they were kind of around three four thousand calories depending obviously on their height weight and everything else yeah yeah so so it, yeah it's a little bit more than you or i mm-hmm. but not massively mm-hmm. so it would depend whether the, and there's not too many prof- professional racket speed uh, sport athletes are there i mean most of them are kind of holding down a job as well yeah. So they are most probably going to be in that three and a half thousand calorie range. But you, yeah. would, you, I always work it out per individual. Yeah, yeah. I, I get them to keep activity diaries for a week. Right. Okay. And also use smart watches and everything else. Yeah. And then we can get a real good feel for where their calorie requirements are. Then what you can do is you can start to tailor the diet so as the ratio of carbohydrate, protein, and fat matches that calorie requirement mm-hmm. once you know what how those two marry up then what i'll do is i'll look at what their current diet looks like and then we'll start to make changes with their agreement i'll sit down and work with them and go look we need to increase this if you've got any ideas about types of foods you might want to use or whatever and so over a number of weeks we'll slowly mm-hmm. modify the, their current diet to meet what they actually need Mm-hmm. But it is a case of me working with them so as it matches their lifestyle. Yeah. I, I've never, well, with the, with the exception of one or two times, never written a diet plan because people won't stick to them. It's better working with what they currently do yeah. and help them adjust that because yeah. they're more likely to follow through with it. Yeah. Um, so if you're going to give any tips to someone, for example, that has no maybe can't get working with a sports nutritionist to start with, or, you know, they're, they're, they're in the racket athletes um, sort of area. What any tips could you give them to you know, start the nutrition? Best place to go for a solid sort is that AIS website, the Australian yeah. Institute of Sport, yeah. and Sports Dietitians Australia's website. Look up both those websites. And the reason I say go there is they've got fact sheets for all the different sports. Yeah. So they will tell you that for this type of sport, you require this much grams of protein, this much mm-hmm. grams of carbs. Yeah. 
and then there's also loads of recipe ideas on there yeah. and they're all broken down for the macronutrients so you you know that if you make this flapjack or have this meal mm -hmm. this is exactly how much carbohydrate protein and fat you're getting and then the other thing i would say is just get yourself a really good sports nutrition book yeah um, I mean, you can find information on the internet, but you never quite know what you're getting. Is, is it kind of evidence-based yeah. or is it, you know, Joe Bloggs who suddenly decided he's a nutritionist? Yeah. So if you really, uh, let me just have a look. Right. Right, so this is, is quite expensive. Yeah. This is about somewhere between 40 quid, but Clinical Sports Nutrition yep. by Louis Burke and, and Vicky Deakin. Yeah, okay. This book is the Bible of sports nutrition. Basically, when you do the Sports Dietitians Australia course, mm -hmm. this is the textbook, and right. you basically go through it. Right. So that's a quite expensive book, but yeah, yeah. it will give you everything you need. Yeah. A very basic but really good book, Food for, Food for Sport, Eat yeah. Well, Perform Better. Cool. And that's by Jane Griffin. Yeah. So that would be a good starting point. And that's only kind of 12 quid or so. Yeah. And then the other books I would look at, the other author I would tend to look at is Anita Bean. Right. Okay. Yeah. And she's produced some really, so if you're a vegetarian athlete, for instance. Yeah. She's just recently bought out a vegetarian cookbook, which is really good. Again, not massively expensive. Yeah. So they're kind of reliable sources. Those two websites, those couple of books. Um, and the other thing you could look at, if you want more specific, if you're kind of quite into reading research papers, mm -hmm. um, is the JISN, Journal of International Sports Nutrition. Yeah. And the ISSN, International Sports. I forget what the title is. Anyway, but those two and both those journals are open access for the public, so you don't need to pay. Right, okay. So if you really kind of wanted to know oh, what's the cutting-edge evidence around, I don't know, for instance, beta-alanine is a fairly new supplement. Yeah. Uh, racket sports would would certainly benefit at the professional level now. Yeah. I don't, for the likes of you or I that aren't professional athletes, then beta-alanine is really not going to have an, enough of an effect to justify Taking spending money on it. Yeah. But for an athlete that's competing at the top level, that's just looking for that little bit more, beta-alanine might be one to look at. And cause that's fairly new in terms of being called a category A supplement. Yeah. The other one that's more recently moved into category A supplements is uh, nitrates. So beetroot right. juice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. And that's another one that would be beneficial for athletes so they're two that you'd most probably want to look at the research papers but they are safe and they are effective mm -hmm. but kind of got to use them in the right way and that's the thing it's, it's making sure you're using them in the way that the research evidence suggests they work yep yep so and what obviously you spoke a bit about athletes there again gary rack athletes so if you're working with a racket athlete um what advice would you give them when they're about to start a program with yourself, just, you know, if the, or any athletes about to start any, any nutritional program, what advice would you give them? Get your basic nutrition right first. And 
everybody poo-poos it, but actually, when you look at the evidence, the plate model is actually quite a good guideline. Mm -hmm. And and if you're really unsure, if you're really skeptical, look at some of the research by Andrew Chappelle, who works, who is an elite bodybuilder himself. Mm-hmm. But he looked at the diets of the top 10% of natural bodybuilders. In other words, the ones that always won the medals. Yeah. And he found that they pretty much followed the plate model diet to the letter. So yeah. there was no extra protein or whatever. No. So for most people, it's get that basic diet right first. The mm-hmm. other thing to be very aware of is your hydration status. Yeah. So making sure you hydrate properly, both before you're going to train or compete, but most importantly, when you're competing, because what tends to happen when you're in competition is you are so focused on your opponent and what you're mm. doing there. Yeah. You kind of forget about yourself. Yeah. So you can find yourself an hour into competition and you haven't had a drink. And that's going to affect the way you're performing in the later stages of, of, a, of yeah. a game. So like with the triathlete I work with, because that's an issue for him, what he does is he sets an alarm on his watch. Mm-hmm. It bleeps every 15 minutes. Yeah. And that's just to remind him, because obviously in the water phase, the swim phase, you can't do anything. Yeah. But once he's on the bike, it reminds him to drink regularly. Yeah. And then also in the run phase, it reminds him, right, I've got to drink 15 minutes is up. So a sim- just get disciplined into keeping hydrated. And the way to do that is do it in training. Because if you do it in training, you would naturally carry that over to comp- when you're in a, in a competition. Yeah. So how's that? It has, to, it has to become kind of second nature to you. Yeah. So it kind of becomes that psychological effect of training and taking it into the game time. Yeah, and that's the thing with nutrition as well. If you know you're getting your nutrition spot on, psychologically you're in a better place. Because now when yeah. you go into a competition, you're thinking, well, I've done all the training my nutrition's spot on, I should be winning this. I'm doing everything right. Yeah. What you don't want is some doubt about, oh, I wonder if I'm going to be able to recover here or I wonder if I'm going yeah. to fall apart in the last 15 minutes of the game or whatever it might be, you know, yeah. the match. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's normally where you see poor nutrition kick in. It's not in the early phases. It's that crucial last 15, 20 minutes when games are won and lost. Yeah. And racket sports are exactly the same. You know, something like squash is very much really about wearing out the opponent yeah. to some degree. Yeah. And so you know, that making good shots 40 minutes in mm-hmm. is going to be down to, am I properly fueled? Am I recovering properly? Yeah, am I properly yeah. hydrated? Absolutely. Um, so Gary, where can people find you and, and, and what you do and what you offer? Um, if you go onto my uh, website, which is www s of c ltd ssc limited.com um you can find out about all the courses i teach and i do one-to-one consultations as well if people want to do a kind of one-off kind of sports nutrition consultation and dietary analysis from that all the stuff i've just talked about really to kind of get you started and heading in the right direction yep that's great gary Uh, thanks for coming on the show no problem thanks for inviting us on Okay, folks, that's another episode of the Racket Athlete Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening and please leave a review.